from Hafiz and the title of this evening's comments, a poem called The Subject Tonight is Love. The subject tonight is love and for tomorrow night as well. As a matter of fact, I know of no better topic for us to discuss until we all die. So what can we say about love? It's Valentine's Day. We're supposed to all be feeling, supposed to be having lovely days. Uh, did you have a Hallmark Day today? Or you want to take the microphone so others can hear? What was quite interesting on this day was that I had talked to my sister-in-law this morning in Sacramento, and she had a good laugh. She said she went down to the local flower shop, and there were guys lined up ten deep <laughs> buying bunches of flowers and huge balloons. <laughs> And I said, you know, it's quite interesting about us guys. You know, we're still in the Neanderthal stage, so it's lucky we only have one Valentine's a day, a year, or we'd be stuck. Uh, yet we do spend quite a lot of time either wanting to give flowers or receive flowers. You know, as, um, also from, I think this is also Hafiz, he says in one of his poems, Admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, Love me. Of course, you do not say this out loud, otherwise someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this. This great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye? That is always saying with that sweet full moon, with that sweet moon language, what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear. Admit something. We're always saying, love me, love me. You know, love is a, so it's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful feeling, a feeling of connection, feeling of. Uh, many people here could describe or whatever their own sense of love is—a feeling of connection, of wholeness, of belonging, of being mirrored, seen, held, of uh, of extending ourselves, a feeling that sense of joining. It's a it's a beautiful thing, and it is. There's no doubt that it is in our nature to love. I think that all of the, every bit of practice that we do, every bit of self-improvement, everything points to the, to the flow of the capacity to connect. And when, we're, when we can't connect, then we often feel like we have been, uh, we've been cut off at the, at the roots. We feel adrift. We feel, as I often use the metaphor from the Bhagavad Gita, we feel like the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean. We lose contact with that, that, uh, 
reality that we are immersed in the very thing that we're searching for, that we are always in communion uh, with life. We're connected to everything, but we go about feeling that we're really not, that we're, we need to find it in another. And this is the, the, uh, this is the domain, you could say, of, of sentimental love or attached love that's that uh, often has a kind of sticky quality. It's based on hunger. It's based on thirst. It's based on what the Buddha called uh, craving or um, tanha, thirst. And this is really contrasted with this wider vision of love that, um, that is our capacity, that both includes romantic love, it includes a healthy attached love, you know, that has the qualities. When I think of healthy attached love, it's the qualities of devotion and commitment and caring and just basic affection and the, the willingness to exchange oneself for another. This is a, this is a beautiful expression that often takes shape in, in one-on-one relationships. But that's just one aspect of this wider view of what, what love can be. And the Buddha was very clear to contrast the difference between what he called sentimental love or attached love from universal love or otherwise known as metta or loving kindness. And so I thought I would just talk a little bit about those tonight. found a, a beautiful old passage from a monk named uh, Nyanapanakatera, who's also a great uh, scholar and author. I think he, if I'm not mistaken, he's, uh, he, I think he may be German, but he, he ordained and has, was, is a lifelong monk in Sri Lanka. And he wrote this about love. And you can interchange, if you like, with the word metta, but I, we'll use the word love tonight. How do you feel when you hear the word love? How do you feel when you... Are you able to say, I love you? Are you how do you feel when someone else says, I love you? Shy. Shy. How about when you say it? How do you feel? <laughs> good, good answer. You know, it's funny. I, the longer I live and practice, the less it feels different between who it is. Really, it's changing. That's a, it's really a, something I hadn't really thought about, but thanks for saying that. Because I really can feel tonight, you know, that feeling that uh, I feel a feeling of love for all of you. And I, it's not so different than I, what I feel for my so-called nearest and dearest. And that almost that, that sense of non-separateness, that sense of sense of home. And I think this is really available to everyone. It's not just me. It's what our heart wants to do, wants to join. And I think it, it is the expression of a, of a, a mind heart that's, that's open. That's what we do. It doesn't even, it's not something you, you need to do. It's something that just happens. It's an unconditional quality. Just like last week I spoke of ease, I said we simply need to remind ourselves, we need to drop the word ease in. We don't need to become easeful, we need to just remind ourselves of ease 
And then we see that, oh, that's an unconditional quality. I just need to turn toward it rather than wait for it, postpone it, hope that someday that I, that I experience ease. I just need to remind myself of ease in this moment. Same with love. I just need to, to love, just to feel that, just to connect with connecting. Anyway, getting back to Nyanaponakatera, um, his passage called Love. Love without, this is the, the wider vision of love. Love without desire to possess, knowing well that in the, in the ultimate sense there is no possession and no possessor. This is the highest love. Love without speaking of I, knowing well that the so-called I is a mere delusion. Love without selecting or excluding, knowing well that to do so means to create love's own contrast, dislike, aversion, hatred. Love embracing all beings, small and great, far and near, be it on earth, in the water, or in the air. Love embracing impartially all sentient beings, and not only those who are useful, pleasing, or amusing to us. Love embracing all beings, be they noble-minded or low-minded, good or evil. The noble, wait, the noble and the good are embraced because love is flowing to them spontaneously. The low-minded and the evil-minded are included because they are those who are most in need of love. In many of them, the seed of goodness may have died merely because warmth was lacking for its growth, because it perished from the cold in a loveless world. Love embracing all beings, knowing well that we are all fellow wayfarers through this round of existence that we all are overcome by the same law of suffering, of dukkha. Love, but not the sensuous fire that burns, scorches, and tortures, that inflicts more wounds than it cures, flaring up now at the next moment being extinguished, leaving behind more coldness and loneliness than was felt before. Rather, love that lies like a soft but firm hand on the ailing beings, ever unchanged in its sympathy, without wavering, unconcerned with any response it meets. Love that is comforting coolness to those who burn with the fire of suffering and passion, that is life-giving warmth to those abandoned in the cold desert of loneliness, to those who are shivering in the frost of a loveless world, to those whose hearts have become as if empty and dry by the repeated calls for help, by deepest despair, love that is sublime nobility of heart and intellect which knows, understands, and is ready to help, love that is strength and gives strength, that is the highest love, love by which by the which the enlightened one named the liberation of the heart, the most sublime beauty, this is the highest love. And what is the highest manifestation of love? To show to the world a path leading to the end of suffering. 
So perhaps you can hear from this that uh, that we often settle for, as one of my uncles used to call, a dandruff, a small speck of what our capacity is to love. What I was thinking about during the sitting tonight, while you were all busy in sublime bliss and the ever-flowing of love, I was reflecting, as I often do, about the fruits of just the the fruits of even a 40-minute period of practice, but I was actually thinking about when periods of intensive practice are extended over uh, several weeks or several months. And most of you who, many of you have done retreats before, residential silent retreats, you know that there's really nothing added. It's mostly our excessive stimulation is is taken away and we're simply left with our own nature our the own it's a back to nature practice nature of our of the elements earth air fire water how they're felt moment to moment the nature of the heart nature of the mind nature of awareness nature of consciousness it's really everything is stripped away it's kind of no frills it's very simple and we're invited to simply not let our mind leave our body to stay here and to to uh, pay attention to be aware to bring that quality of of uh, awareness that has as it's embedded in its nature awareness or has within its nature kindness and wisdom in fact i brought a quote tonight i'll share after i talk a little bit but what I've seen over the, the 27 years that I've been supporting people on retreats and then many years before that in my own and throughout these years in my own intensive practice is that without all the uh, excessive stimulation and, uh, and neediness that we tend to uh, project and uh, apply to almost everything in, in our uh, day-to-day life, a kind of stickiness, kind of graspy quality, relinquishing that and simply settling back into the moment. It's basically the same thing I invited you to, to do this evening. There is a magic that uh, begins to reveal itself. And when I say reveal itself, it means something becomes re recovered, discovered, uncovered, and it's none other than the very nature of your own heart and mind. And what what anyone who does it for any extended period can see is that it becomes clear that the nature of your own mind is, um, it doesn't have any limits. We start to see that the, whatever that, the very mind through which we are perceiving, the very consciousness through which you're perceiving, has no location. It has no height, it has no depth, it has no color, it has no shape. It is absolutely open, immaculate, without limits. And it is, it's empty, it's open. So there's this great openness that all of a sudden... It, we move from this feeling of be, having our mind stuck between our ears. Do you ever feel like it's stuck between your ears? And it's, it isn't even making it down to the neck and under the shoulders. It's, in the, it's between the ears, 
and it's vibrating a lot, and it's definitely sending bad vibes to the rest of the body. <laughs> that's how we live, and but that's because we're living in our imagination a lot, and we're living in we're living on kind of worldly speed, and it's some we we need to feel really compassionate about the effects of of our daily life. But it's possible to live it differently. There's no doubt about that. But the way the reason I speak of this is because nothing's added, everything is stripped away. And what reveals itself is this great openness. And the the nature of that openness, it's not just an empty nothing. Often, what is also felt, not often, but inevitably, what is also felt is this great luminosity, this great clarity, this luminous clarity that reflects everything really precisely. Your mind is, becomes laser-like, mirror-like, where, there is, where you lose all sense of there being an inside or an outside, and every, but yet everything is seen and known and heard and smelled and felt with absolute, um, with absolute clarity. And it's not just empty and open, and it's not just clear, but it is filled when our hearts and minds are that return to their natural openness. What fills that space is the quality, all the qualities of of connectedness, of goodwill, of compassion when it meets pain, of joy when it meets pleasure. And that what Nyanapanakatera described as impartiality, this equality of connection with all things. Now that's not something that gets created. You don't create it on retreat. It's what's embedded in all of us. It's, it is the nature of our hearts. You can call it heart, you can call it mind, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Heart-mind, it's often called in Tibetan tradition. The word that's used in Sanskrit and Pali is chitta, is heart-mind. This is what you are. This is what I am. This is not just for those who are in relationship. And it's not missing for those who are not in relationship. But yet we, of course, relationship can be a beautiful doorway to connecting with these, with many of our heart qualities but it is by no means the only way. It's just, um, it's just one flavor of love. Uh, sentimental, attached, romantic love. It's a beautiful thing. And this maybe is the day of celebration of romantic love, of that particular element of love that uh, can happen in, in people's lives. But it... But even those who have romantic love, I wouldn't, I think it's really cheating ourselves to settle for that. It's cheating ourselves with a, a very narrow and limited view of, of how, um, who we really are, who we truly are. Just getting back to the, 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 the fact, the, what flows naturally when we are aware, that's why we practice mindful attention as continuously as we can, because 
kindness and wisdom are just embedded in awareness. This is what the sixth Zen patriarch said about awareness, kindness, and wisdom. Good friends, my teaching of the Dharma takes awareness and kindness, wisdom as its basis. Never say mistakenly that awareness and kindness, wisdom are different. They are unity, not two things. Awareness itself is the substance of kindness and wisdom. Kindness and wisdom is the function of awareness. At the very moment there is awareness, then kindness and wisdom exist. Good friends, this means that meditation and kindness and wisdom are alike. Be careful not to say that meditation gives rise to kindness wisdom, or that kindness wisdom gives rise to meditation, or that meditation and kindness wisdom are different from each other. They're really the same. And we, I like to say that when we are mindful, they're in a moment of mindful attention, there's no grasping, there's no aversion, there's no delusion, there's connection. There's connection with whatever is being known, there is acceptance, there's non-separation. And that is really, in, in a way, synonymous with love. You can tell I'm going on about all the, not just about sentimental love, um, but I think it's also useful to to stop for a moment and and look at when you hear teachings of the of the Buddha on uh, attachment and grasping and clinging. There's a we have the tendency to think that that attachment that all attachment is somehow bad, and then uh, naturally a mother will say, "Well, well, what about my attachment to my child or a partner to the." or to a parent, or a partner to another partner. What about that kind of attachment? Is not is that is that just dukkha? Is that just suffering? Of course not. Of course there there is dukkha in that, but, but there is also uh, something very healthy. There is, I think it really should be distinguished between healthy attachment and unhealthy attachment. Unhealthy attachment has that quality that Nyanaka Panaka Tara spoke about. Where is that? Now I've lost it. It's a huge poem, and it just disappeared. Oh, here it is. It got folded in half. Love, he talked about love without desire to possess, knowing well that in the ultimate sense. So often the, the sense of of attached love, the unwholesome attachment, which is sometimes called the near enemy to love, disguises itself at love, but it's a kind of possessive love and has with it a, a kind of clinging quality. And we've all felt that the some of the effects of, of the clinging kind of love, a sense of insecurity and jealousy and, um, and all the, th- the reflections of what seems like love, but it's not. They, the two don't really coexist. But then the healthy attachment, I said before, the feeling of, of uh, bondedness, the feeling of devotion, the feeling of commitment, feeling of caring, the feeling that you could give your life over 
to uh, the needs of someone else you know, with strength, not with a sense of diminishment. That's, that's a healthy kind of attachment. Whether it's a, a child, a parent, a friend, um, that's that kind of attachment. We don't want to. We we want to cultivate that in our life. We want to have our have such an absence of me and mine and preoccupation with ourselves that it's just it naturally flows. That kind of devotion and commitment. So try not to split those too much. You know, non-attachment. And, it's really about non-clinging. It's not about non-attachment. So I think that's all I really want to say. I could sit and read poetry all night. I, I would like to read the Metta Sutta, and I'd like us to chant, but I'd also like to hear a little bit from you. Please, Noemi. If love is in our true nature... Why is it so difficult for most of us to access it? We have the opposite. Well, I can't exactly explain why, but I can say that, and something that you can verify for yourself, is that we have the presence in our, in our mind stream, in our heart stream, in our conditioning, the presence of what the Buddha called the three root causes of non-love, which is greed, hatred, and, and ignorance of our connection with one another. And when, those are, when, when one experiences life through the lens of greed and hatred and delusion, there is often a feeling of separation. And that feeling of separation, in our attempts to end that feeling of separation, often we recreate more separation. And the sense of being on a wheel of endless searching uh, blocks us from the feeling of love. And it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a great shame. And I think all of us, one of our doorways to love would be to feel great compassion for ourselves from, being, from having gotten so disconnected from our from that heart nature, from, from love. But it, we're conditioned. But it, is not, it is, is not an ultimate fact of our existence that we are greedy, hate, hateful, and deluded. That's conditioning. And evidenced by even that short period of practice in the span of a person's life where you can ex- where you can sense what it's like when there's the absence of those forces or when those forces are, are recognized with mindful attention and, and with loving kindness, you see that they're changing conditions. They, they, they're, not a, they're not who we truly are. And they melt away into an ocean of great capacity. And we're just conditioned, and that's why we practice. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. If you substitute the word fear for hatred, then what? <laughs> yeah. It makes more sense to if we substitute the word fear. Yeah, fear and, and love are pretty incompatible. It um, makes it a little hard to feel that connection. Anybody else want to make any comments about Valentine's Day, about love... 
so busy running after, running after trying, to get ahead, trying to get ahead hold on, hold on competing, competing. We're so caught up in this that the concept of letting go and being present is beyond us, but not. Right. But it. Yeah. But when, when you say when we sit, we're present, but when we stop and just pay attention to anything, and that can be on the cushion, off the cushion, that's when we can, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, reclaim our heritage. Right. Yeah, practicing mindfulness in while doing dishes or no matter what you're doing. Four or five times a day. He's giving a plug for the rains retreat, the 60 days of practice. So thank you. Anyone else about love? How is this? Uh, has your day been lovely? Please. Concept of scarcity. The more love you give, the more you have. That's right. We, yeah, we tend to live in... That's right. That's right. We tend to live in a space of scarcity. Yeah, and that's all from the perspective of the personality view that separates oneself out from the whole. And that's the fundamental delusion. Thank you for, thank you for naming that. It is such a fallacy. Here's what D.H. Lawrence said. Oh, what a catastrophe, what maiming of love when it was made a personal, merely personal feeling, taken away from the rising and the setting of the sun, cut off from the magic connection of the solstice and equinox. This is what is the matter with us. We're bleeding at the roots because we are cut off from the earth and sun and stars, and love is a grinning mockery. Because poor blossom, we plucked it from its stem on the tree of life and expected it to keep on blooming in our civilized vase on the table. So, so we have to go buy cut flowers. <laughs> Which is really, it's sweet though. It's very dear. Nothing like giving flowers. I haven't gotten too many flowers. Need some role reversal. <laughs> so before we leave, I know that it's you don't seem so talkative tonight. Uh, I'd like to just um, encourage you to practice loving kindness. It's this more universal, wider version, this impartial version, this this widening of our heart and our circle of affection. Uh, because as the Buddha said. People who practice metta sleep peacefully, wake peacefully, dream peaceful dreams. People love them. Angels love them. Angels protect them. Poisons and weapons and fires don't harm them. Everybody take note of that. Faces are clear, minds are serene, and you will die unconfused. And when you die, your rebirth will be in a heavenly realm. That's the the lore of 2,500 years ago. 
But this is the more serious sutra, called the Metta Sutta. I'll read two versions of it. One, just the, the, the classic words of the Buddha, and then uh, a, a prayer for all of us. This is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, fear, hatred, and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So let's just wish for all beings. May all beings be filled with joy and peace. May all beings everywhere, the great and the ordinary, the powerful and the oppressed, the mean and the generous, the healthy and the sick, the old and the young, may all beings everywhere, seen and unseen, dwelling far off or nearby, being, dying, or waiting to become, may all be filled with lasting joy. Let no one deceive another. Let no one anywhere despise another. Let no one, out of anger or resentment, wish suffering on anyone at all. Just as a mother protects her child from harm, so within yourself, let grow a boundless love of all beings. Let your love flow outward to the, through the universe in every direction, a limitless love, without hatred or enmity. If you strive for this wholeheartedly, as long as you are awake, whether standing, sitting, walking, or lying down, your life will be a blessing to this world. May our practice tonight and every night be a blessing to this world and be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all.
May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings have a happy Thanksgiving. Or Thanksgiving. <laughs> May all beings have a happy Valentine's Day. Seen one holiday, you've seen them all. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, thank you all for uh, listening, being here, participating, speaking, practicing, living. And a reminder again of our uh, room rental costs. Donna for room rental. Teacher Donna, if you are so inclined, keeps the wheels rolling. Uh, we can, you can offer Donna in the baskets there. We put out two baskets tonight, one for room rental Donna, one for teacher Donna as an experiment, uh, see how it goes. Uh, but it is, the, it is a central practice in, ex, in extending ourselves to practice generosity, and of course it's completely voluntary. And there are ways to, if you offer Donna uh, and you would like it to be tax deductible, you can make a check out to the church here and put Mission Dharma on the memo line and your offering will be tax deductible. Otherwise, cash or PayPal account, all that's on the web. But thanks in advance for your generosity for just to keep it going here. It's not my group, it's our group. And so if we, we practice supporting each other, we'll, we'll do fine. Anyway, thanks again and hope to see you next Tuesday. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Did you? I get flowers. You do? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.